you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to Joshua chapter 6. If you know a story in the book of Joshua, this is the story. Uh, it's the story about Jericho. If you have a verse on your refrigerator or in your house somewhere from Joshua, it's probably in chapter 24 later. Uh, it's from me and my house. We'll serve the Lord. We've got a few weeks before we get to chapter 24. But if you know a story um, from Joshua, this is, this is that story. If you know a song about the book of Joshua, this is that story. Because the walls of Jericho, what they do? Yeah, that's theologically incorrect, but we'll pick that fight in just a minute, okay? Um, <clears throat> this story is, is profound, and, and we've got some important things to say about it, and it really calls for a kind of responsiveness from us. And so before we get to that, let me, again, just trace the history, just a touch so that bring everybody up to speed. Um, God has rescued his people from the uh, land of Egypt. He has brought them out by his power. Moses is leading them. They rebel in the wilderness, and uh, God, um, the the uh, discipline for that uh, is 40 years of wandering in the wilderness until that generation that rebelled died off. That generation dies off. God has raised up a new generation, um, and he is, you know, th these folks are untested, unproven. They're still trying to figure all this stuff out about following um, the Lord God. And But he's, he's now brought this generation up. Uh, Moses has passed away. Joshua is now leading them into the promised land. He's crossed the Jordan, 12 stones, all of that. And then they have prepared themselves via circumcision and celebrating the Passover to step into uh, the fulfillment of God's promise. That's where we come to Joshua chapter 6. And so again, if you have your Bibles, and by the way, if you don't, uh, you can borrow one. On, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Uh, if you need a Bible to just hold on to uh, and keep, by all means, please take one of those. We'll be glad to buy more Bibles. In Joshua chapter 6, here we go. Now Jericho, I'm going to read a, a substantial portion of it here, and then we'll talk about it. Now Jericho was shut up <clears throat> inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast on that seventh day, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will do what? What's it say? Will fall down flat. Be careful of that. Hold on to that, okay? And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to him, take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. It's always good in leadership to say exactly what God has said. That's important. Verse 7, and he said to the people, go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, before the Lord went, fo uh, before the Lord went forward, uh, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then, then you shall shout. And so he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came back into the camp and spent the night in the camp. 
Excuse me, verse 12. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. This is getting a little boring. The whole point is they're doing exactly what God has said to do. Verse 14, and the second day they marched around the city once and they returned uh, to the camp. So they did for six days. Verse 15, on the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times this time. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. Verse 16, and at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. If you know a story from Joshua, this is that story. This is that story. And so I want to break this um, chapter down into these uh, kind of three pieces, really talking about God's plan um, and how he kind of works things out, specifically regarding Jericho, but just try to set up a template uh, for you and me to, to live into. And so these three statements, first of all, it's good news for you and for me that God has a plan. God has a plan. Uh, God had a plan for Jericho. You had these people cross the Jordan, had just come out of all of these religious rituals and rites that they had accomplished, and um, they're unproven, as I said, and untested, and they're looking at they're looking at the city of Jericho, walled about a mile or so in circumference. So, uh, I mean, not a not a huge city. It's not Houston or anything, but it's of substance, especially when there's huge walls uh, coming around, and 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 they're saying, "Okay, God, here we are." It's a good thing you've got a plan. He steps, God steps into their world and says, I have given you Jericho and its king and all its mighty men of valor. I've stepped into your world and I promise you I'm going to do this. Okay, that's, that's terrific, God. How are we going to do this? Because normally what you would do if you're going to lay siege to a city, you'd build a siege ramp or you'd build siege works. If you think about the Alamo or any of the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, um, you know, you'd throw those ladders up against the wall and you just send people over and send people over and send people over and a lot of people would get hurt and a lot of people would die. But that was how you took a city that was walled up like that. God had a very different plan. Hey, how about we go for a walk? Be sure and blow the ram's horns while you're doing that. So off they went. You want us to do that, I'm sorry, how many times? Again? There are two key components to this plan, okay? And the, the, um, when this unfolds, the first one, just make note of this, the first key component is our obedience. Whenever God says, hey, this is what we need to do, hey, this is the plan, the, the first key component, our heart's response needs to be obedience. The, the way we need to tilt, if you will, incline ourselves is toward obedience. Um, it may look ridiculous. It may be absolutely silly, Walking around a city rather than building up siege works to take the city, that seems like a silly plan to us. Um, it, it may uh, not always make sense to us. Uh, God, shouldn't we be like getting some ladders together? Or like, what's the plan here? How, how is this going to happen? And you think about our world, and you think about the stuff that God's called us to do in the middle of this. Here's the thing. It is not great military strategy um, to, uh, to walk around the city rather than attack it. But yet God has a plan. And the question is whether or not you and I will be obedient. Whether or not you will I, no matter what it looks like, no matter how silly it is, no, how, no matter how much sense it does or does not make, um, whether or not you and I will be obedient. When we um, come to a, a, a moment like this where we're like, uh, wait, God, just one more time. You want me to do what? 
there are three ways that we can respond. Number one is to just flat disobey. Hey, God, this looks silly, and this doesn't make sense. The people are on top of the wall. They're looking at us going, uh, oh, we got this. This is going to be easy, because all they're doing is walking around. They literally don't know where they're going. We can flat disobey. That's one response. God says something to you. He says something to me, and we look at that and go, eh, that's not really it. That's not, no. That's, that's not going to be my plan. That may be your plan, God, but that's not my plan. That's, that's one way to respond. The second way to respond is that we can delay our obedience. So, God, can you maybe just give me a little bit more here to help me out and help me understand here? Because, I, I, I mean, I'm kind of willing, I'm kind of wanting to do this, but this is really weird, and so I'm not willing to do it right this moment. You can disobey or you can delay your obedience. But delayed obedience is what? disobedience. Anytime that we say, hey God, I understand what you said, um, and I don't necessarily have the why or the how or whatever all wrapped up, so I'm going to use that as my excuse to step back from obedience and say, "Uh, if you can give me a little bit more information, that would help. Anytime we delay obedience, it's disobedience. So we can disobey, we can delay, which is also disobedience, or we can just obey. Joshua chose to obey. May it be so for you and for me too. Hey, it's time to get up and walk around the city. Uh, oh, okay. Let's get up and go for a walk. That, that's, well, that's what happened here. Um, if his plan seems silly or if it doesn't make sense, here's what I promise you. It's still a better plan than your plan. Why? Because it's his plan. Like he's the creator of it all. He's the one who's got it all under control. So his plan is better than your plan or my plan. Anytime we have a choice to, to say, hey God, this is kind of what I'm thinking. I see that you're thinking something else. This is kind of what I see. I see that you see something else. This is what I say. And I see that you say something else. Anytime we have that choice, it's always better to go with his plan. Why? Because it's his plan. Last week we brought up, um, they just haven't left my heart, we brought up these four areas. And just think about this for a minute. These two choices. Um, one, was, one area was the area of forgiveness. Whether I choose to forgive somebody or not. Um, think about this. It, it, I mean, if it's my plan, I may choose to stay bitter, stay frustrated, be an unforgiving person. God's plan is to forgive. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us so much. But over here, I I mean, I've got this choice to do this. And so I may look at this and go, God, I mean, I I understand that you're telling me to forgive. I'm just telling you, I don't think that's right. And so I'm going to hold on to it. Which way is better to live with unforgiveness and the bitterness that comes with it or to be a forgiving person? Which way? It's always his plan. Well, I mean, I just need to get healed up and cleaned up and this kind of stuff first. I'm going to let time heal my wounds. Does time heal all wounds? Do you know any bitter old people? Instead, we offer forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us. One of the other areas was the area of patience. God, I can choose to be angry and frustrated and impatient with the people that work with me, with my clients, with my boss, with the guy who cut me off in traffic with my own kids, whatever. Or I can continually work to express trust and and a lack of anxiety, uh, trust in you and a lack of anxiety, um, and be patient. Which way is better? Which way is better for your blood pressure? One was purity. 
well, God, I mean, the world says this, and it looks like everything's okay, and blah, 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 blah. doesn't look like the world's falling apart when X, Y, or Z happens. I mean, it's, it's not really hurting anybody. It's just me and my computer screen, right? Or, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Which way is better? God's way is always, always, always better. Uh, generosity, that was the last one. <clears throat> forgiveness, patience, purity, generosity. Those are the four areas we talked about. I'm going to hold on to all of my stuff. And I mean, my 401k is important. And I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm just going to do everything I can to get all I can and then pass it on to my kids and you know, so forth and so on. Or to live with an open hand and say, God, you've blessed me with a lot. I'll try not to hold too tightly to it. Why? But because Jesus said it's better to give than it is to receive. Like, do we... I mean, was he joking? Anytime we have the choice between his plan, excuse me, our plan and his plan, his plan is always best. Why? Because it's his plan. In Joshua's case, it was to walk around the city. They're not building siege works. They're not building, they're walking around the city. Um, to be clear here, our obedience does not impact God's success. God's going to succeed no matter whether or not you and I are on board with this or not. If we choose our way, that's fine. God's still going to succeed in doing what he wants to do. He doesn't need us on his team. He's not looking to us as the bullpen, nothing like that. Instead, he's going to succeed. Our obedience does not impact God's success, but it will impact your participation in God's success. So we have to step out and be obedient. So that's key component number one. God has a plan, and one of the key components of that is your obedience. The second key component of that is God's power, His power. Our obedience is a portion of that, and His power is a portion of that. And so, um, Megan, Where'd, where'd my girl Megan go? Megan's going to help me real quick uh, do something, a little construction project here. Hey, how you doing? Good. See all those people out there? They're, they're looking at us. You want to wave to them? You want to wave? Hey, okay. This is Megan, everybody. Okay, Megan, can we build that wall together? Okay, let's build that together. You start over there and I'll start over here. It might be like three or four blocks high. How about that? Your fingers are a lot more nimble than mine. I like how you're doing that there. You're very calculating. I like that. Did you get that from your mom or your dad? You don't know? Yeah, you don't like me talking to you, do you? Let's just build a wall. Okay, let's just build a wall. All right, we're not talking anymore, Megan. Just you and me building a wall, okay? All right, so let's pretend that this is Jericho. That's the special part of the wall right there. Okay, so let's pretend this is Jericho. Okay, so this is all the inside stuff is Jericho, right? And you and I, we're with Joshua, so we're out here, Okay. Now, if you and I wanted to get into Jericho, which way would the wall go if you and I wanted to? It would go, it would do, that's right, it would fall inward, right? If the people of Jericho were out here, and they looked out and they said, oh no, it's Trent and Megan, and they wanted to get out, which way would the wall go? The wall would go that way, that's right. 
But what did the Bible say about the wall? What happened to it? It did what? Yeah, yeah it fell flat. The, not from here. Not from here. How does a wall fall flat, Megan? How does a wall fall flat? Oh, the power comes from above. Is that right? Oh, the power comes from above? Who do you think supplied that power? God did. That's exactly right. Good job. Thank you. God has a plan, and a portion of that plan is for him to demonstrate his power, not to knock a wall down this way, not to knock a wall down the other way, but to do it in such a way that he's the one who gets glory for it. The wall fell flat. There's only one way the wall falls flat. It did not come a tumbling down. God leaned on it, and it went to dust. Some of you face unscalable and unassailable walls, and you feel like you are ill-equipped um, or the people around you are ill-equipped to face those unassailable, unscalable walls. And what God is doing with that unassailable, unscalable walls with the people who are ill-equipped, what God is doing is readying himself to demonstrate his power in your life. He's readying himself to just lean on something in your life, and it won't come out, and it won't come in. It'll just go flat. There are big needs in the room. I get it. I get it. The question is not how big the need is, how tall the wall is, how defensible or indefensible. The question is how big God is and whether or not He can take care of that. When He does, He demonstrates it in a way so that He is the one who gets glory. Can we flip over to the New Testament for just a second? If you would flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want you to read verse 10 and 11 along with me here. First Peter chapter 4, <clears throat> starting in verse 10. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, of the different kinds of grace that God gives. And then he gives some examples. Verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So what, what are we talking about? Well, each one of you has been given a gift. Where did that gift come from? It's not you. It came from God. And each one has been given an empowerment or a specific kind of grace to give fuel, to give power to that gift. Where did that fuel come from? Where did that grace come from? Not from you, but from God. And God wants you to use that gift that he gave you and the power that he, uh, the grace that he gave you um, to, uh, to empower that gift to do something. And that is to give him glory so that the one who gives the gift and gives the grace also gets the glory. Did you see that? And this can happen in this room when the gifts that 
uh, have been distributed in, in the ways that he sees it in this room right here. It can happen in your circle, in your small group, in your Bible study, in your uh, uh, Sunday school class. It can happen on Tuesday at work when you're doing those things. God has given you gifts and he wants you to use those gifts with the strength that he supplies to make sure that he's the one who gets the glory. The one who gives the gift and the one who gives the grace is the one who gets the glory. It's about his power. It's about his power. How do, how do, how do you make stuff happen? not with my talent. It's with God's power. So God has a plan. That's good news for you and for me. The key components are our obedience and his power at work. Uh, Secondly, um, God's plan is right. God's plan is right. Look, if you will, at verse 16, uh, sorry, verse 17. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, uh, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. God's kind of setting it up uh, to build the temple down the road. Verse 20, so the people shouted, this is on the seventh day, the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And what happened? The wall fell down flat because that's what God does. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Verse 21, and they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Now, this is called... um, Yahweh's war, Jehovah's war, uh, these kinds of passages here. And when it talks about being devoted to destruction, uh, sometimes we can get a little queasy about that. We're like, ooh, I mean, we like the killing on the grateful, I mean, on the the movie screen and stuff. Like, we're, you know, that stuff we'll pay money to go see, but like reading it in the Bible, ooh. People respond. Um, to these kind of passages in three ways, and all of these three are bad. Okay, So let me try to enumerate, because I don't want any of us to respond. Some people use this as a, um, as a justification for, I don't know how else to term it, for Christian jihad. Like a holy war in the name of Jesus. Like they set in their mind their Mideast policy, and they're responsive to this, and their response to that. They're, you know, the reason they are NRA members by, you know, is because of stuff just like this, right? They see this, this kind of um, uh, um, violence, if you will, in the Old Testament. They're like, yeah, that's the people of God right there. Here's the problem with that. Um, this is not a universal command. Every, we'll see this in Joshua. Every city that they came to, this didn't happen to them. So what do you do with that? Uh, it, instead, what we need to recognize is this is a localized command given to the people of God at a specific time and in a specific place. It is localized. It is contained, if you will, by history and by geography. God was using the people of Israel to bring judgment upon the people of Jericho. Um, you, can't, you can't justify this kind of warmongering you know, positioning and your politics from Old Testament texts like this. There may come a time when you have to use force in order to fulfill the command to love your neighbor as yourself. But may that time be very rare, if ever. 
Uh, we've talked about it in here before. We talk about it every August, just briefly. If God forbid somebody walk in here with intent to do harm and ill, what is our collective response? We take them out. Why? Because we don't love them? No, but because we love all the rest of the people in here. This is what we're, we need to do. We need to do. So you can't justify this kind of um, violent propensity to violence with texts like this. This is a very localized command. It was bound by both geography and time. So don't, don't do that. Uh, secondly, and this is probably more popular um, in some circles, that here's what they try to do. They try to defend God. This is a bad response too. Let me just be clear. God doesn't need our defense. If, I, if I've got a God who needs my defense, that God is in trouble. <laughs> like if I'm the guy standing in front of God, that guy's in trouble. I mean, that's, that's, that's bad. God doesn't need our defense. Um, that, that people talk about this in multiple ways. Typically, this is the way that it goes, that, that they think that this is Joshua's remembrance of what happened instead of the Lord's command. Um, I sat in a seminary class, um, Old Testament seminary class. We were reading the book of Joshua together studying, talking about it. We came across this passage and some others that will come later. And this one particular girl piped up and this is kind of the way she went. And the professor was inclined to agree with her. Um, she said, I, I just don't like this God. Hey, um, I don't like this God because it's very violent and it doesn't seem right, you know, killing women and children and young and old and oxen and sheep. I mean, what do the sheep do? You know, all of these kinds of things. Um, and the professor piped up and said, I understand your uh, kind of reaction to this. Just remember, this is what, uh, th- this was written by the winners. So they can write whatever history you want to. To which I said, I thought this was written by God. Like I thought he's the one who wrote this and recorded this for us. Because does it seem that this narrative is more about God fulfilling his promise to the people of Israel and bringing judgment upon the people of Jericho? I thought this is what this was happening. And there was a little bit of an exchange, if you can imagine such a thing happening there. They feel like they need to let God off the hook on this deal. God, you're, you're kind of violent here. Don't, don't do that. Here's the thing. If, if I don't like what God is doing or allowing, the problem is not with God. The problem is with me. And so just a couple of verses to hang on to as you think about this. In Psalm 18, verse 30, look at the first phrase of this verse. <clears throat> Psalm 18, verse 30. Ready? Here it comes. Psalm 18, 30. Ready? Here it comes. There you go. This God, His way is what? It, it's What? It's perfect. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. I'm going to give you a land in which you can go and live. Guess what? He gave them a land in which they could go and live. I'm going to chase all these people out before you. Guess what? This is what he's doing. This this God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. You need a New Testament version of this. This is in, from Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. His ways are beyond our scrutiny. Did you see that? We, we can't do that. His ways are beyond our scrutiny. Uh, for who has known the mind of the Lord? 
or who has been his counselor, or who has given him a gift uh, that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. If I have a problem with what God is doing or what God is allowing, it's not God's problem, it's my problem. Um, and that kind of, if you will, sets up this third thing. If people say, if people don't justify their violence with this text, we can't do that. People have to feel like they need to let God off the hook and defend him uh, by doing some gymnastics with the text. We're not going to do that. We're just going to believe what it says, read what it says, and believe what it says. Then, then people say this, I don't think that's very fair. I just don't, I don't think that's fair. I mean, you know, women, children, oxen, sheep, What? When we do that, what we set ourselves up to do is defy, we, we find ourselves defining and judging God's perfect plans by the human understanding of fairness. We find ourselves defining and judging God's perfect plans uh, by human understanding of fairness. Um, to be clear here, the people of Jericho and the people all, all throughout um, Canaan, the, the land in which the people of God are going to go, they're not nice people. They're not. Can we just backtrack a little bit and take one look at this? Can you back up to Deuteronomy, the book right before Joshua? So turn left a few pages. Look at chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 18, look at verse 9. Deuteronomy 18, 9. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. And this is important. The word abominable in the Old Testament is, is the word damnable. You know, like if we had the old King James, sometimes they even use that word. Uh, it's a damnable thing. It is worthy of damnation. Okay, So that's, that's how serious it is. Abominable or abomination. That's as serious as it gets in the eyes of the Lord. Um, that word comes up a lot in this, in this particular text. So just watch it. Uh, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. Verse 10. There shall not, listen, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns a son or daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination, tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. God is driving them out before you. So you're looking at the list, and you're like, hey, divination, a little witchcraft. I mean, that doesn't seem to hurt anybody. Sorcery. Yeah, we've seen that on Harry Potter. Um, what about fortune tellers? Oh, yeah, we've seen one who's down the road. They're going to read my palm, all that kind of thing. All right, oh, those don't seem all that bad. Oh, those are bad. Those are bad. How about this one? The very first one. Anyone who burns his son or his daughter as a sacrifice. The Canaanite religion, one of the gods that was most often sacrificed to is a god named Molech. Um, Molech, uh, the statue of Molech that they offered, that they did their worship services with, big, tall, ugly looking statue, big gaping mouth at the top, arms outstretched like this, a big gaping mouth, arms outstretched like this, and in his belly, if you will, they would build fires. So you got the fire, smoke coming out, big arms outstretched, and what they would do to satisfy, to appease Molech, is to take their son or their daughter and put him, into, put him or her into the hands of Molech. And because their son or daughter is in the hands of Molech, on an angle like this, what does that son or daughter do? What does that child do? Into the mouth. And then what? Into the fire. They would burn their sons and daughters alive. 
These are not nice people, folks. These are not nice. So for me to stand here and go, oh God, that doesn't seem very fair. These are not nice people. God calls these things an abomination. They are damnable offenses before Him. So when we talk about fair play, and I'm going to sit in judgment of, per, of God's perfect plans by my understanding of fairness, that's not, that's, we're not seeing the whole picture here. We're not seeing everything that goes on. And furthermore, do we really, do we really want fair when it comes to God? Do you? Because if you and I got what was fair for us, Jericho would be a cakewalk compared. If you and I got what was fair from God to us, it would be Jericho, no big deal. The only people to whom it is unfair are the people who don't get what they deserve. They don't get what they deserve. And that sets up our third statement, our third portion, if you will, of God's plan. And that is salvation is built into this. Salvation is included in God's plan. And so if you will, flip over to Joshua 6 here. I got to turn my Bible back. Look at verse 22. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. Verse 23. So the young men who had been spies in went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver, the gold, the vessels of bronze of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive and she's lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. You talk about fair. Who didn't get what was fair? Rahab didn't. The only people to whom that is not fair are those that he rescues. And so salvation is built in as a part of God's plan. It is a, it is, God has a plan. His plan is right. And this, this plan includes salvation for people. It includes salvation for people including Rahab the prostitute here. Just two things here. Number one, that God's revelation is what brought or what led to her salvation. Back in chapter 2, verse 11, you remember uh, her confession was, you're the God above things, above the heavens, and you're God below. You got the whole thing surrounded. That's who you are. That's who you are. And it's because this is who you are. This is how I'm going to act. And, and this is you know, the faith, if you will, that will take feet and, and, and do something here. So, <clears throat> excuse me. It was the revelation of God that he's the only God, the only true God above the heavens and below. He's the only true God. This revelation of her that led to her salvation. The reason Joshua um, saved her, brought her out of there, instead of letting her endure the judgment that came, was because her faith led her um, to act as she did. It's God's revelation led to her salvation. Good news for Rahab, good news for you and me. God didn't forget his word. He has never forgotten his word. And guess what? He never will either. You know, when you come to the city, I'm going to rescue you. Good news. He did. Jesus says to you and me, hey, when you come to me, there's forgiveness every time. There's always something 
that, that you and I have to talk about. Even if you're just bringing junk, even if there's stuff, man, you step, you step forward. I just want you to hear me say, I, I'm here. I've never forsaken my word, and I'm not going to now. It's this revelation of God that led to um, Rahab's salvation. And secondly, uh, this is where it gets really personal for you and for me. Like with Jericho, God doesn't withhold judgment. He rescues from it. God doesn't withhold judgment. He rescues from it. The judgment still came upon Jericho, but he rescued Rahab right out of there. Listen, judgment has come upon the world, and it is coming upon the world. And God's not going to stop that because he doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't just sweep it under the rug or say it's no big deal. God's not going to stop that. Instead, what's he going to do? He's going to rescue people from it. He's going to rescue people from it. So this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 21, For our sake, God, that's he, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The, the judgment fell. It fell upon Jesus because he became sin for you and for me. And now we get to become the righteousness of God. So the, the judgment wasn't stopped. That's important to know. God, God didn't cease that or yield that. or He did not stop that. It just fell upon Jesus and not upon you and for me. If you're in the room today and you've put your trust in Jesus, the judgment that has come and the judgment that is coming has fallen upon Christ and not you. That's something worth celebrating. If... You're in the room today, and you haven't put your trust in Jesus. You haven't turned from your sin, and you haven't turned to Christ and embraced Him and be embraced by Him. Then the judgment is still on you. Good news, though. God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become God's righteousness. He, he gave His life for us to, be, to bear our sin so that we don't have to take the judgment that we rightly deserve. Uh, we've been moving this past week. We're different house in the same neighborhood, and so on more than one occasion, um, a kid has walked up to me with a box full of stuff and gone, "Here, Dad." I'm like, "What is this? What? I mean, sometimes you can see in, sometimes you can't." Like, where did you? I didn't even know we had that. Still, sometimes you and I walk up to God and we're like, "This is what we expect Him to say." What is this? What is this? If you come loaded today with a box full of sin and shame and guilt and things that you don't even want to talk about, here's what I promise you. The judgment has already fallen upon Jesus. God's not going to look at you and say, what is this? He's instead going to take that from you, relieve you of that burden, let you live excuse me, let you live without the shame and the judgment and all the things that come with our sin. If you'll turn from your sin, the Bible calls that repentance, and turn to Jesus, the Bible calls that faith. He will embrace you and clean you and make you new. I'm going to offer a prayer, and then um, we're going to stand and sing. And I will be at the back. Kyle's at the back already. There'll be some others back there who would be happy to pray with you. If you are here this morning, you've never put your trust in Jesus, man, today can be the day for you. Like Rahab, you can be rescued right out of the judgment that's coming. Today can be the day. If you've got questions about that, you're not sure if you're ready to sort all that through, there's a little, on that tear-off portion of your bulletin, there's a little box that says, please let me know uh, what it means to follow Jesus. Check that box and put a phone number down. We'll call you this week, and we'll try to get uh, you the information and get the answers that you need. Let me pray, and then we'll respond.